Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Trent is back with us this morning, and we're going to talk about soybean harvest, and we're really not soybean harvest, harvest aids on soybeans. So the time is coming up for soybean harvest, and we're going to kick that off with harvest aids. So Trent, thanks for driving over, buddy. Absolutely. Glad to be here. I wanted to see how long I could just look at you before you were going to say something. I'm scared. Why? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I didn't know what you were going to say or throw something exactly. at Exactly. No, I'm not going to throw anything at you. So Trent pointed out on the last episode that he was over here with us, Tom, that I always, I, I think he said I picked on him, asking him questions. So I'm going to ask you. No, no. He did say you picked on him. I didn't mean to be a bully, Trent. I think my comparison was just because it was me and Drew and – Whenever Drew and I are in the room, it's always okay. Me, well, that's I haven't some, had I hadn't heard Drew get asked a question. Some more yet, detail, so. more detail. So next time when it's me and Drew, or remind me, and I'll be sure to direct it. Or next time, Drew and I could ask you a question. Ooh, see, that's not violate. I like it. That's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you my question, Tom. Okay, and I I need at least PG thirteen version. Mm. I, okay. And I don't know that you've even noticed it this morning because I know you're busy. We got an email this morning about chat GPT. Yep, we did. So and what, I started skimming it, but I hadn't finished. I want to know, again, PG-13 version and brief version, Tom Allen's stance on chat GPT. Wow. Um, maybe maybe start that by telling folks, again, briefly, what chat GPT is. As I understand it, that is artificial intelligence that you can ask specific questions or topics and it can provide you with answers. And there are some people possibly within the sciences that use that to develop and write paragraphs for them. Okay. I'll take that as a good and I believe that the university is now coming out with a stance on how that will be dealt with because, quite frankly, I consider it an opportunity for super lazy people to use that to do their work. Trent, That's just Tom's take on it. Just Tom's take. Is that PG-13 version of Tom's take on chat GPT? Do we, do we need to cut that off right there? Well done, Tom. Well done. Thank you. I think we need to stop while we're ahead on that. Agreed. I honestly would agree with that statement. Tom, uh, smoke might start coming because that's out of a, his headphones. Uh-oh, uh-oh, he's coming. Harvest aids, Trent. <laughs> Let's change the subject while we still got a chance. <laughs> I'll be quiet. Time is coming. This practice has become extremely popular around not just our state, other states also. I guess let's just take a, a step back and look at why harvest aids and, and, and why so many growers have adopted the, the use of them in soybeans. So if you look at 20 years ago, people might would apply one to control vines or grass or whatever that came up before, before harvest. Now it's an efficiency thing. Uh, you know, we can make a harvest aid application. We can get the machinery through that field a little easier, a little faster. It just helps with harvest operations overall. Plus it gains a little time too. So we're, we're able to get that crop out a little bit faster as we would have if we were having to wait on it. Now, it's not always necessary. Sometimes weather delays things where that crop can 
uh, senesce naturally and we don't have to worry about applying a harvest day. But when we have favorable conditions, we can speed things up from that perspective. Or if we have unfavorable conditions in the forecast, we might want to go ahead and make an application to get these fields out ahead of that unfavorable weather, such as extended periods of rain or hurricanes. Could have do it to them again. You know, I cut out dead air, right? I know you do cut out dead air. With the overarching topic of harvest aids, what products do you prefer or do you more often suggest for that, Trent? There are a handful of products that have a label for use as a harvest aid in soybeans, but the way that we use the the management option of, of applying a harvest aid, the only ones that would have activity on the plant itself would be Paraquat, Sharpen, and Sodium Chlorate. So the vast majority of what we see sprayed is likely Paraquat with some acres being a tank mix between Paraquat and Sodium Chlorate. We might see a few acres of Sodium Chlorate. We might see a few acres of just Sharpen. But the vast majority of it is probably going to be Paraquat and or Paraquat plus Sodium Chlorate. There are no general regulations or restrictions associated with the number of acres for application for 2023 at this juncture. Isn't that correct? As my understanding goes, we have no acreage restriction limitation as was once thought that might happen by this year. It's my understanding that is no longer an issue and there is no acreage restriction. You know, when we did a similar episode Maybe last year, we, I, not we, I misspoke, and then we had to end up coming back and doing a little short addendum, I guess, to the podcast to clear up everything that I said wrong. But my understanding right now is the new regulations for Paraquat are in effect as of last winter sometime. However, the time where they went into effect was such that they technically didn't apply for 2023 because of volume in stock and things like that. Among those regulations, the I think it was 350 acres right. per applicator per day, that was not included in the restrictions for 2023, which is technically restrictions for 2024, because that's practically when they'll go into effect. And there's a lot of other ones associated with handling the product, moving the product, and things like that. Best application strategies, and I'm sure that's something that we could dive off the deep end into, air versus ground. What's your preference? Tom, I think that is one of those that the answer is it depends, and I think it does on a bunch of different things, some of which are beyond our control. I mean, if the crop gets right but the field's wrong, then naturally an aerial application is going to fit that bill. I think there are you know row configurations that don't lend themselves to ground applications. So I, honestly, at the end of the day, I think the answer is it depends. Yeah, there's there's no way to really answer that. I guess it, it you got guys who can begin harvest and then all labor is tied up with the harvest process and they don't have enough labor to actually go and do any application on additional acres they hadn't gotten to, weather. I mean, there's all, all kinds of factors, I think, that would go into that decision. So uh, for us, it, it's it's a mix. You know, I, I, we're heavier probably on the aerial application side as a state than we would be from ground application. But I know, I know operations that utilize both, some solely one versus the other, and it's just dependent on their needs. 
Trent, when we had Drew on with you, we talked a lot about identifying those late reproductive growth stages. So what's our optimum timing to start so, harvest aid treatment? Yeah, that's a, a great question. When you look at at what the the behavior of this crop and, and the way that the leaves will begin to turn, I mean, it can be super slow or super fast depending on environmental conditions. Some uh, I tell some of my students all the time, we make a lot of harvest aid applications in, in various research plots every year, and we're, we're specifically – looking for growth stages to do it. And I tell them that's one of those things you almost got to check it every day because once that time gets here, it's fast. It's really fast. But what you're looking for is you got to make sure that crop is done. There's research out there that points to to some level of yield loss if, if applied too early. That's, you know, understood, right? If, if the seed aren't finished filling and we terminate that plant, we're going to have some level of yield loss. Um, so with that said, we have got to be at least our six and a half to make that application. So when that seed completely separates from that pod wall, we know we reached R6.5. You know, other comments that I usually make when, when talking about ID and growth stages that time of year is, is focusing on the pod itself, not focusing on the foliage. Sometimes, especially with soybeans, we may have a lot of green leaves out there, but the pods may be browning and, and, and maturing uh, depending on, you know, whatever level of green stem that, that may or may not be present in the field. So when we have situations like that, we probably want to hurry up and make an application so that we can get that plant drying down so that those seeds don't begin to shatter. At the end of the day, we're just focusing somewhere on those upper four nodes. We need to, to shell open those pods, and we need to make sure that that seed is completely separated from that pod wall to know that it's finished. So you describe brown pods and green leaves being a good trigger for an application. Describe a scenario where it's basically too late where there's no benefit to it and i know the obvious one of defoliated plant and basically the the plant's dead and everything's ready to go but a questionable situation where there wouldn't be value to it anytime you get weather that comes into the play that can delay your ability to put the machine in the field you know i'll just use hurricanes for example i don't don't, i'm cautious to bring those up but anytime we have tropical systems that come through i get tons of questions on making an application ahead of the time when that that system gets here and it does it depends on which field you're talking about and the development of that field and i guess i'll just give two examples so if you've got a field that is right on the cusp of being ready to spray and you're expecting a tropical system to come in or some kind of weather event that is going to cause a several day delay in your ability to get the, the combine in the field making an application in that scenario is probably worth it. If you're expecting a weather event to come in and you've got that crop has further progressed, say, you know, you've already got some yellowing of some leaves, not necessarily defoliation, but your pods are changing colors, your leaves are, are turning colors, so you know that plant is beginning to senesce and you have that weather event coming in, you may not want to make that application because those leaves are going to fall anyway and may have all dropped by the time that weather event comes in and gets out. So that may be a situation where you want to hold off uh, instead of making the application. My next question was describe the weather possibilities and that so you kind of kill two birds with one stone there. Yeah, but bring up, and you've done some work in this particular area, 
any trade-offs with overall general seed or grain quality associated or following one of these applications. So that's that's been a big uh, topic of conversation. Because I think when you talk about doing this prior to a weather event, how could that impact grain quality? I mean, that's a dicey area to talk about anyways. So I, I guess, again, let's just describe some scenarios. So when you're talking about a weather event coming and as of today you know let's let's hope that we don't have any of those this is just generally speaking if you're talking about a weather event coming in you could think all right well if i knock these leaves off this crop i could improve the airflow through the field and could dry things out better which tom correct me if i'm wrong that should help in terms of slowing down decay and things of that nature. I think that's a general thought process. We say pretty much the same thing in a cotton system too. So you got that scenario, but then let's flip it around to examples, whatever year that was, 2018, I believe we had a a lot of damage that year at elevators following harvest. And then to some degree, the very first acres that we harvested in 2022 had a Mm -hmm. fair amount of damage too. And what that's related to is the weather events. So the number one question that I've gotten in those two types of situations is, had I not sprayed that harvest aid, would I still have had all this damage at harvest? And so we, we set out to try to design an experiment to evaluate that. And, and I feel like we captured it you know, the best that we could when you have to capture that kind of environment. And at the end of the day, what we found was we did not see any difference in quality, whether it had been treated or not treated. So... Where we had damage, we had the damage in the grain, whether we had sprayed the harvest aid or not. Well, and the hard thing, I think, for folks to consider is that doesn't necessarily happen overnight. It's a progression over a period of time. And it's a successive number of weather events that likely relates to that. It's not just one event. And if it is, it's an event that occurs at a very specific point in time. And you can't overcome once that's occurred. So in that particular situation, it, it feels like any time that we have R6 growth stage where that seed has completely filled that pod, those pods are really stretched, right? And any time we have a, a substantial weather event on fields of that growth stage, we end up getting some sprouting and some decay to some degree in those fields. Now, the, the level of it, like you said, is dependent upon a lot of factors and really the duration of the cloudy conditions and the moisture staying in that field. If the sun comes out the next day and things dry out, usually it's very minimal. You, you'll see some sprouting, but it, the damage is very low. But if it stays cloudy for a week and things don't dry out, we have some pretty hefty levels of, of damage once that machine's finally able to get in and get, get that particular crop out. And, and you got a bunch of variables involved in that that are really hard to capture. You probably have moisture holding capacity within a particular soil series that differs. And then you may even have varietal components and capturing the varietal differences is difficult, really difficult because unless you have that weathering event that occurs at a place where you have your variety trials, you're not necessarily capturing all those data, especially from a standpoint of it being meaningful for the next season. Yeah, exactly. I I really feel like there are some, you know, genetic differences in terms of the ability to weather, but it also is a variable that goes into that maturity. So whatever maturity group that you have growing right there, it's going to go back to that growth stage at the time of the weather event that that allowed that damage to, to begin to occur. 
And it obviously occurs at some point during the R5 growth stages, but it may even be something that's so difficult to capture that occurs just immediately prior to that. And how do you account for that? None of us have the time to sit in a field on a lawn chair and watch everything as it occurs. That's the reality of that particular situation. I think a confounding part of that is those weather events, each one of those is unique too. So if you're doing some plot work devoted to this topic, weathering of, of soybeans, and you catch a rain at about the same time, two years in a row, you know, growth stage wise, well then is it that rain that kind of flips a switch and so say it's been really hot, then you catch a rain and then you get some mild temperatures following that? Or is it that rain that comes in and it just kind of hangs around? You got that initial rainfall quantity that matches up with the year prior when you were doing your work, but then it just maybe it stays wet, stays real humid. So they're, all of those are unique too and, and just blows up the results of those that type of work, in my opinion. It's, it's a terrible thing to try to capture. I know when we when we designed those experiments to try to capture that, all I knew to do was to evaluate multiple planting dates to do that, that allowed us to spread that harvest timing out to try to capture some of those rain events. We basically had soybeans that were ready for harvest when most of the state is, you know, end of August, 1st of September. And then we had other plots that were delayed until basically Thanksgiving. So we had a two month, two and a half month harvest window that we were trying to capture variable, you know, weather conditions to to see about that. And I feel like we captured it pretty well. You know, not every location had damage, but in those locations that resulted in substantial damage, like I mentioned earlier, we didn't see a difference between treated versus untreated. No, and I don't want to belabor that whole topic, but, but I do think that's one of the questions that I even get is if I apply harvest aid, how's that going to impact quality? What I, when I answer that question, like particularly in those situations where you wish you got a crystal ball, you know, ahead of a weather event, should I spray or not spray? Like so many things, it's it's up to the to the different situation of that field or that farm. And one thing that that I look at is if I make this application, am I going to increase my level of damage? I feel like the answer to that is no. If I make this application and the rain moves in and out and things dry up and I'm able to get the machine in there a little bit faster as a result of that application, I feel pretty smart for having having made that call, right? That's a, a good situation. The flip side of that is if the rain sets in and stays and we end up with a pile of damage in there, I'm confident that we would have had that damage whether we had sprayed or not. And we just did what we thought we could try to do to speed it up in hopes that we could get it out faster. Because generally speaking, on the topic of damage uh, and, and preventing it, the number one thing that we can do is just get the crop out. Uh, no matter no matter what the situation is, like if we have an event that comes through and have a little bit of sprouting out there, that's the first field I want to target. I want to try my best to work that timing out where I can have my machine in there and get it out before additional damage can occur. Because the one thing we hadn't talked about would be the the multiple weather events. You have one weather event, and you have a little bit of sprouting come in there, and then a week later we have another weather event that comes in. We've already got a loss in, in that integrity of that pod wall, whether it be from whatever reason, whether it be from insects or diseases. But some of these varieties can even split. The, the seam will split on that pod and, and allow moisture in. But we know that those fields are the ones that we have to get out first, if at all possible, to minimize the damage. That's and, the only ingredient to do it. And I hate to even say it, but 
you get a lot of folks that want to arrest every bit of that fungal development that they associate with damage, but there are other components involved. And they tend to say, well, a fungicide will have prevented all of that. And no, that, that's one, that's not how they work. Two, they take a period of time for that product to be worked through the plant to prevent any of those things. Three, you're talking about a group of organisms that aren't even necessarily on the label because there's a laundry list of stuff that can rot a kernel that develops in that pod. And then four, I think the, the really difficult thing to talk about and address is that I think people feel like they need to do something instead of doing nothing. And in a lot of cases, I don't know that throwing money at a problem that you're not going to fix with that is addressing the issue or the immediate need. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think with everything that we do, you know, we, we, we need to find a way to see an economic return on it from a fungicide aspect. I don't know that there's enough data out there to support that is going to prevent anything from happening. And the only thing that in practical experience that I've seen that helps with it is just again, the timing of getting that, that crop out of the field before additional damage can occur. Once quality starts going south, it doesn't get any better. It just continues to go south the longer it stays in the field because it's exposed to the elements. Yep. I've, I've seen fields where we've had tropical systems blow through and we get some level of sprouting and it really never got worse because the sun came out and stayed. We had that level of damage there. And then I've seen those fields that had that level of damage. Then we caught another rain before we could get them out and then another rain before we could get them out. And all of a sudden you've got 30, 40% damage once you're finally able to get in there and get them out. All right, Trent, so we've gone through the whole spectrum of possibilities with the harvest days. So I guess bringing in and park it rates, timings, products, or products, rates, timings, I guess I went that backwards, just for our suggestions for how to manage a harvest aid application. So products to consider would be Paraquat, uh, Sharpen, and then Sodium Chlorate. And I think every one of those has its pros and cons, uh, depending on the situation. For example, if we have a substantial weather event coming, I might would not use Sodium Chlorate because it's a true desiccant. And that has the possibility to increase the, the shattering potential. Uh, you know, on, on the flip side of that, if I had a lot of green in my field, whether it be weeds or excessive green stems and maybe even some butter beans out there, I'm going to put sodium chlorate in the mix with it so that we can try to draw out some of that moisture to maybe have it a little more ready for harvest once that machine finally goes through the field. So we have those products as far as rates go. I typically apply Paraquat at a, a quarter pound active, regard, you know, depending on which formulation you're going to use. That, that does a, a fine job in my experience. Sharpen has a rate range of one to two ounces. I've settled on an ounce and a half to be adequate to do desiccation, if you will, of the plant. And then the sodium chlorate depends. If you're going to make an application of sodium chlorate by itself, I would apply that at six pounds. If you're going to tank mix it with something else, I'd put it out with three pounds. And then no earlier than R6.5 growth yeah, stage. Yeah, no, no earlier than R6.5. We've got to allow that seed to fully separate from that pod to minimize any kind of level of yield loss that, that may occur. What kind of interval then post-application? Can you put a combine in the field and cut it? My observations of this is, is that it depends on the level of greenness in the field. So the more green that field is in terms of 
plant and the foliage and you know the leaves and the stems and the petioles the more green that's there the longer it's going to take those products to do what they need to do to be able to effectively put that machine in the field and, and harvest adjuvant or no adjuvant adjuvant each one of the labeled products for use as a harvest day have a, a set of guidelines for which adjuvants each one of those products prefer thank you so much great to have you Really appreciate you driving over here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anybody has questions on harvest aids, feel free to call. Thanks, buddy. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.